This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Will Weber is on the board. Liz Russell booking the guests. In the newsroom, Dave Woodard. On Canadian Healthcare, can I book my appointment for hip or knee replacement now? Just so I can get in if I need it in 50 years. Here, Scott Thompson. That's just being a smart arse. That's what that is right there. That's poor parenting right there. All right, close your eyes, man. Honestly, if I close my eyes, uh, I can go back and I'm a, a, a kid and I'm in the dentist office waiting to go in for my checkup. And this is what is playing on the radio. Oh, man. Turn it up. I'm just kidding. It's beautiful. Is this more just your speed, mem- Scott? <laughs> Are you awake yet? Uh, I was dozing off before my own show. Uh, Honestly, when I hear music of this ilk, and some people call it Yacht Rock. Was it you, Will, that said the term Yacht Rock? I can't remember. I I had never heard that before, but it sounds exactly apropos. But it reminds me, it takes me back to like the late 60s, early 70s, and I'm a little kid, and I'm sitting in the dentist's office or the doctor's office, and, you know, that smell of doctors and dentists and you hear walk on by you know it just uh, it takes me back there and just uh, a middle of the road kind of all right enjoying your day here's the song stylings of Dion Warwick and another massive hit for Burt Bacharach which is why we're uh, playing which is why we disrupted the top 200 no the top no hang on Rolling Stones uh, top 200 singers of all time. We've interrupted that. And we said, you know, we'll keep going until something interrupts and it's usually a death. And uh, here we are. So the reason for all of that, whew, I'm exhausted. Uh, Burt Backrap passes away at the age of 94. And uh, back in the day, man, this guy had a whole string of hits uh, with people like, uh, uh, obviously, Dion Warwick, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, uh, Walk On By. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, virtually every song in that era, uh, uh, every other song, it seemed, was a, a Burt Bacharach composition. And this back in the day when um, the songwriter was still a big deal and still is but usually it's a singer songwriter right and this was sort of on the the latter era of a person who uh, and man he would try to sing because he would come on like the mike douglas show or whatever and he'd you know he'd do a a melody a melody of his hits and of course it's just like oh wow i didn't know he wrote that one oh my goodness i didn't realize he wrote that but unfortunately uh the man couldn't sing to to save his life and uh but made a fortune writing all of these great songs for everybody else and 
Lincoln uh, lived a very full life at the age of 94, finally passing away today. So there you have it. Uh, that's the reason for the Dion War. Maybe we'll see raindrops. Maybe we'll get raindrops. Well, we can play that one and... Uh, because we got another Dion uh, set up. And, you know, again, it just takes me back. It's a traumatic experience. You know, dentist as a kid back in the day, it's not like it was now. There was no laughing gas. It was crying and screaming. No, I'm kidding. All right. Uh, thanks for joining us. It's Hamilton today. I should also say Eric Alper joining us to talk about uh, the song stylings of Burt Backrack coming up uh, just a little later on in the show. So there you go. And he will read you a grocery list of songs that, uh, oh, yeah, wow, holy smokes. All right. So uh, we're still decoding uh, healthcare and the meetings that have come together. Something that is pretty cool and impressive is uh, DOFO. Uh, uh, Premier Ford is is been gracious and open about what he has received or what we have received from uh, the government and such. And then within two days, there's another meeting with the health minister, Sylvia Jones, the premier and, and the federal health minister. So the fact that that happened so quickly, I think that's a positive sign. Uh, I'm going to play you a clip now of Dominic LeBlanc, inter, uh, intergovernmental affairs on the meetings that went earlier today. Uh, an issue that all of us care about deeply. Uh, Premier Ford and the government of Ontario in our federation uh, have been and will always be leaders in these kinds of issues across the country. Uh, and Doug Ford on the meeting and, and where they are. And I should mention, I was watching a, a news clip of them coming out and it looked like the three amigos. They were all smiling and, you know, patting each other's back. So... We'll see if that turns into results. Here's what the Premier had to say. It was a very productive meeting. Uh, there's still a little bit of work to do. And again, uh, I always stress this. We have to consult with all the, the Premiers right across the, the country. But it was a very positive, positive meeting. And of course, what the concern is here by everybody, and I'm sure the premiers, because they're getting the heat from their own constituents right the way across the country, is, is this a band-aid or are these actual reforms? Is this money to keep everybody's mouth shut till the next election uh, cycle or what have you? Uh, or are these actual reforms uh, that we can bank on 5, 10, 15 years uh, down the road? Here's what the premier had to say. Where do we go beyond 10 years, 11, 12, and 13? Uh, but a again, uh, we can't move in until we get uh, an approval from all the premiers. All right, so there you have it. And uh, it certainly looks like uh, everybody is unified. And, and many uh, were chatting off to the side that, you know, as the premier was meeting with the health minister so quickly that side deals were being cut. And they've all stood very firm that they're all going to be shoulder to shoulder and try to, uh, to get this resolved. So hopefully the politics is aside <laughs> as I put my tongue in my cheek and uh, we can actually move forward with this. And something that we can feel proud about that, you know, it's not just a Band-Aid and it is an actual reform of some sort. So uh, we'll talk about that coming up a little later on, obviously. Also, uh, this hour, we talked to the mayor uh, at this time, the mayor of uh, Brantford. And man, they were super excited about the Bulldogs coming there. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, the director of business operations for the Bulldogs and talk about ticket sales. Also, something cool out of Niagara Falls. Yeah, if you like getting married, you're ready.
ready to go? Like now? How about Valentine's Day? This looks like a great event for uh, Niagara Falls, and who knows, it may come, uh, may become an annual event. We'll talk about that. Also, uh, Bert Bacharach, uh, the gentle song stylings of all coming up. At this time yesterday, uh, we were talking to the mayor of Brantford, and man, he was on cloud nine. He was so excited, and everybody seems to be so jazzed in the city of Brantford to uh, welcome the Bulldogs as uh, First Ontario Centre is renoed. And uh, three years, they're coming back. We're all fingers, all our fingers are crossed. Uh, but how how uh, how big of appetite is there for these tickets? Let's bring in Jeff Elia, a Senior Director of Business Operations for the Hamilton Bulldogs, and with us now, Jeff. Thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Hey, doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me. So uh, the mayor of Brantford told me a funny story yesterday where he went to the arena, I think this was yesterday, at around 11 o'clock, and there was some people standing outside, and they were angry and complaining that the, the ticket box office was not open because they were standing and waiting for their chance to bid on some tickets. We're not there so, yet. Yeah, we're not there yet. So funny. So, But are you? you must be so enthused about the excitement you're seeing coming out of Brantford. Yeah, it's been overwhelming. It's been a great couple of days here and uh, uh, still uh, still more to come, but encouraging signs early on and, and we're excited about the response, mostly online, but we are answering the phones here in the Hamilton offices and uh, we'll be relocating to Brantford very soon. So uh, yesterday, we understand you've secured 100 season ticket, uh, ticket membership deposits. Where are you now? What is, is this accurate? Tell us where you are. Yeah, we're, we're taking $100 deposits. Uh, we, we did 1000 yesterday. We're just over 1500 as of right now. So it's moving well. Uh, there's only 3,000 seats in the venue. So it's, uh, it's, it's encouraging early signs, uh, more work to be done. And we're uh, fielding calls and, and signing people up as they, uh, as they come on board now. So uh, another question that many are asking, including our, our newsroom, will all of these be sold out as season's tickets? Will some be held back every game for singles or packages? Or are these all for season ticket holders as long as they keep wanting? Yeah, we will have to uh, cut it off. I mean, it's, it's a good problem to have, and, and we'll get there when the time comes. But uh, we will make sure that I think it's important to have uh, individual buyers come in and, and see the game. Uh, different groups uh, will do some comp tickets within the community. So there will be a hold for some of that, um, but time will tell as to what those numbers look like. What are the, what, what are the season ticket sales for the Bulldogs uh, on, on average up to date? What is the possibility? What are you looking for there? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to compare, right? We've, I can say we've passed our numbers here, but, um, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just a different scenario now. We're, we're going from 17,000 seats to 3,000. So that demand, that urgency that has been created is just totally different. So really hard to compare the two markets. Um, but yeah, signs are encouraging and, you know, the feedback from council and, and the mayor and now the people that we're talking to, it's, uh, it's really exciting. So, uh, obviously a smaller venue, but if you're averaging 3000 a game, um, does that leave you in a good business place? Do, uh, uh, how does that, uh, you know, again, you can't compare. Um, what happens if you drop to half of that and you're getting maybe 1500 a night? What, is there a sweet spot there or are you aiming to just blow this thing out every night? Yeah, that, that's the plan. I mean, we think it's going to be a great environment, uh, when we put 3000 people into that facility and, uh, we're, we're looking now too, there's standing room options, so we're going to explore all those options. You know, the goal is to continue to provide an awesome fan experience, and we think with a full house, it's it's going to be a great atmosphere. And what about your last game here? What will that be like for you? 
Yeah, it, it's mixed emotions right now, right? We've got a lot of memories here, uh, championships here, great crowds here, and an awesome fan base. I think um, this last month will be will be exciting. Uh, there's still lots of home games left. We still play ten more home games here, plus playoffs. So. Hoping fans come out uh, a few more times before uh, before we make the move to Brantford. Well, you know that's a great point right here, Jeff. It's like if you want to see these guys before they leave, and and you may it may be three years before you see them again. My God, get out and in uh, and support them now. Um, is um, is the demand for these coming from mostly Brantford? You may not even know this information yet, or is it coming from a wide area? Is it coming from people here? Yeah, it, it's a little early on to, to tell. Uh, the numbers are coming in quickly and changing by the minute here, but we fully expect, and you know, one of the reasons we, we selected Brantford was um, to keep it close enough that our Hamilton fan base that have been so great over the years can can continue to support and see the game. So we fully expect there'll be a good split between uh, Hamilton and, and obviously lots of uh, Brantford and the surrounding areas, uh, uh, you know, outside of Brantford. All right, if you want to be a fun of the uh, part of the fun in Brantford next year, what do we do for tickets? What's the best way to do this? Yeah, bulldogseasons.com to check it out. Or, uh, you know, we've got our hamiltonbulldogs.com or brantfordbulldogs.com for all the information. All right. uh, Congratulations. Good for you. Like you said, a cool cool problem to have and maybe the best of a bad situation. Uh, This worked out not too bad for you guys, Jeff. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, no, it's, uh, you're right. It's, it's, it's mixed emotions, right? It's, uh, you know, it would look like a challenge here and then tough to leave, but, uh, turned out to be a very positive and, and we're excited to be in a, in a new community. So looking forward to that. All right. Hamilton, uh, still a chance to get to see, uh, the Bulldogs before they, uh, temporarily move up to Brantford. Jeff Elia with the uh, senior director of business operations, Hamilton Bulldogs. Good luck. Congratulations, Jeff. Thanks a lot, Scott. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right, uh, let's move on. Um, you know, this is a great idea, and uh, it probably couldn't time it couldn't happen at a better time. Uh, we're going to bring in Mayor of Niagara Falls, Jim Diodati, to talk about uh, what. Uh, well, it's just Niagara Falls. It's honeymoon. It's uh, uh, getting married, and, and why not just get a whole swack of people to do it all together? Uh, Mayor of Niagara Falls, Jim Diodati, with us now. Jim, thanks for the time. I hope you're well i'm doing really well scott thanks for having me uh considering how we've talked jim over the course of the pandemic and what have you and the trials and tribulations of niagara falls this is perfect uh this is exactly what uh you guys are 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 looking for um before we even get to that i want to give you a plug here because um you know my wife and i for christmas presents because we've got way too much stuff now uh we buy each other a a a a night an event of some sort long story short we're in niagara falls uh late january uh uh, stayed at uh, one of the great hotels there in the restaurant overlooking the falls, the fantastic like show, and then fireworks afterwards. It was an uh, incredible day, incredible night. And uh, the first thing we noticed was how many people were out and about late at night, right up until midnight, uh, walking around in, in and around that area. And, and I should also tell you, we started it off by going to the power station and taking that tour and going down the brand new uh, you know tunnel, uh, not new tunnel, it's old but the new exhibit that takes you right out to the base of the falls. So what an incredible uh, night it was. And, and again, a reminder for everybody to check out this jewel. But I, you know, the first thing that my wife and I thought was, man, they're back. You've got your people are coming back. You know what? I, first of all, thanks for that commercial. That was awesome. And, <laughs> and, and yeah, no, that is great. I'm, I'm a little disappointed you didn't call when you're in town, but that's okay. I'll get over that. 
but uh, but I'm glad. And you're right. And and the other thing, um, and I'm sure you took in was the Festival of Lights, which we've extended yeah. now until Valentine's Day, because so many people love those lights. We've got three million lights, seventy five animated displays, and we get another about a, a one and a half million people come specifically for that. So so when you put it all together, it's a fun, affordable weekend. Doesn't take long to get to, and you're right. That new Niagara Parks power plant, huge, huge success, yeah. and and that's so historic. It's 117 years old. They carved that out with pickaxe and dynamite back yeah. in the days before modern technology, and they did it in four years. So mm. even our uh, Scott, our engineers today tell us it's unbelievable, unfathomable that they did what they did at the time and to follow the course of the water through the generators and then getting expelled at the base of the falls. What a cool, cool experience. Everyone's got to check out. It really is unbelievable. And, uh, boy, as soon as word keeps getting out about this, and even the day we were there, it was busy. It was busy uh, coming and going in and out of there. So it's uh, so great to see. And, again, it's it's really a great uh, addition to what the falls already has to offer. All right. So talk about uh, Valentine's Day and weddings and uh, how this all started and what the plan is. Well, you know, we talked about this years ago, but we never moved on it. And and finally, we decided, you know, so many people request, you know, do we marry couples? And we weren't in that business, and we decided, let's put our toe in the water and let's give it a shot. Well, of course, Niagara Falls, honeymoon capital of the world. We became extremely uh, popular for these types of things since 1953 when Marilyn Monroe filmed her movie Niagara here. Yeah. And she said a lot of nice things, neat things. We've got a lot of buildings that she filmed her movie that are still here to this day. So a lot of people like to come here to tie the knot. And Niagara Falls City Hall, the quintessential place to get married. It's I think Vegas and here are two places that people often think of. So we do these civic ceremonies in council chambers. We're going to be expanding, but we decided let's do a big kickoff event for Valentine's. So we're going to do that here for Valentine's. We're going to have a couple dozen couples tying the knot between City Hall and our new History Museum. And we're going to have a special program. We're bringing in flowers, Valentine's theme, complimentary sparkling beverages, uh, photographs that we'll take of the couples. Of course, I sign the certificate myself and put a little happy face at the bottom. And, and we try to make it a fun, memorable way where you can come and tie the knot in a real romantic place. It's a great idea. Uh, if Are there that many people that come and use Niagara Falls and, and you, as you said, your city hall basically for weddings? What is that like? Can you expand that? Could this be like where, you know, all of a sudden we see little chapels popping up and you can go in and out there? Well, <laughs> you know what? If there's a source of revenue to offset the taxes, you better believe we're going to be looking at it. And and it's just a nice view. We've got a beautiful waterfall in front of City Hall that kind of mimics the falls. It's a horseshoe mm. shape. And, you know, we've done a lot of renovations at City Hall, so it's a nice place. And oftentimes you'll come here and you'll see a wedding party all dressed up really nice. Sometimes they'll have children. They'll have some family members and flowers. And it's just beautiful. You hear the water going. Uh, we'll have one of our city employees officiate the wedding. A lot of the time, if I'm around, you know, we'll do some pictures or whatever and just try to make it special. And I've met people from all over the world that come here to do it. So it is a real cool thing. It's really 
growing organically into something special. And it's so funny, often you'll hear crowds out in the hallway in council chambers once they say, I do, assuming they say, I do. Right? Everybody cheers. Oh, yeah, I've seen guitar players come in. I've seen rose petals. We just don't leave no confetti, no rice. But, oh, uh, man. But, but, oh, it's really cool to see. It's a, re- it's, it's a little different than what you see in a church, a little more eclectic group, but it's still yep. fun and spirited and a lot of big smiling faces. Boy, what that is, talk about uh, a bonus of, uh, you know, working for Niagara and in the city and all that sort of stuff. Um, so with, with this Valentine's thing, is this going to become a, an annual event where you, every Valentine's Day you, you do a giant version of it? Well, you know what? It seems like it's growing into one. And as it is, Valentine's weekend is very, very popular. Yeah. Family Day weekend. People look for excuses to come to the falls. And and I can see the casino tying in, especially with the new OLG stage, the new 5,000-seat theater. You know, we've we've got Billy Joel coming up. We've got Rod Stewart. And I'm thinking yeah. they bring some, some swooners, like maybe they'll bring in Buble. Can you imagine a Buble concert for Valentine's in Niagara Falls? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we'll do fireworks over the falls. We could turn the falls, and we are going to be turning the falls red and white and pink uh, for Valentine's. So we've got a lot of special things planned, and what a cool theme we'll build off of for anybody that wants to either get married or have a honeymoon or just have a romantic getaway. And you know what? I was also surprised. And really, you know, I shouldn't be. I've been down there many times at this time of the year. But even like I said, in late January, mid-January, it in you know, the weather was kind of mucky, um, but still like a steady stream of people. All the time. People come here all the time. There's, you know, so many things that you can do indoor. And, yeah. and I always say we have a buffet of fun things to do. Like, I mean, there are so many. Take the ones that you want. I mean, there's the Butterfly Conservatory down the one end. Of course, the newest attraction being the, the, the beautiful Niagara Parks Power Station. There's always shows going on at the casino. we got great hotels, outstanding uh, rooms with views of the falls, and great restaurants. And, I mean, restaurants are uh, – I, I do grand openings for restaurants, and every week I'm opening restaurants, and I get to taste them. And I'm going to tell you, flavors <laughs> from all over the world, Scott. Like, it's hard fitting into my suit some days. Because the food is really good. <laughs> All right. He's got the greatest gig, Mayor of Niagara Falls, Jim Dio Daddy. Oh, so how do we get involved if we want to get the married thing on February 14th? How do we, where do we go? So all you got to do is call City Hall and ask to speak to the clerk's office. And our clerk, Bill Madsen, and ironically, his birthday is on Valentine's, so I nicknamed him Lance Romance. <laughs> and uh, I did that yeah, at our council meeting on Tuesday, so I think I'm going to pay for that one. But Lance is going to be happy to take your calls and uh, tie things together, and, and we've got a team of people that are going to make it extra special. So if you're thinking of tying the knot, you just haven't nailed down a date, I'd say, you know what, sometimes the best things happen impromptu, and come on down, book it here. I guarantee it's going to be a fun and especially memorable day. We've got 130 wineries here in Niagara. We've got all the things that you need to make it very memorable. Jim Daddy with us, Mayor of Niagara Falls, February 14th, Valentine's Day, a gigantic ceremony if you want to be a part of that, and uh, pretty much every other day at Niagara Falls. Jim, thanks so much. Good luck. Hey, thanks very much, Scott. You have a great one. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. All right, as I mentioned, Burt Backrack passing away at the age of 94. Let's bring in Eric Elper, music publicist and commentator with us now. Eric, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Yeah, sorry about that. Everything's great. Um, sad news about, about Bert. One of the, 
uh, one of the greatest songwriters who ever lived. I mean, that's just uh, 73 top 40 hits on Billboard, 52 here in Canada and in the UK, uh, three-time Oscar winner, six-time Grammy Award winner, wrote songs that over a thousand artists sung. And, you know, when you when you talk about Bert, you, you, he has to be up there with a Paul McCartney, a Bob Dylan, Elton John, Billy Joel. But the main difference is, is that he wrote these songs for so many people and yeah. was able to connect with them that it's just amazing that 60 years later, we're still thinking about the swinging 60s and the romance of that era um, all throughout these, all throughout everything. It's funny because whenever you hear this genre, this type of music, and I don't know if it was you that used the term yacht rock or whoever it was, but it just made me howl when I heard that the first time. But very much the sort of middle of the road, mellow type of, of music from that era. He had so many songs, as you mentioned, 73 in the top 30, and so many different people uh, did his music. But sort of an era of uh, the end of an era of the songwriter, because then it became sort of singer-songwriters, and my goodness, if he could really really sing he would have really had a career yeah. but this was sort of yeah, the exactly end. this like was the all end of an era orchestration that that he did um it was really modern you know um, yeah. the, the the when you even look through the beatles catalog you know their biggest songs are yesterday and here comes the song songs that are yeah. are yeah. not really rock that are pretty soft rock but he had this sense of optimism about him especially mm -hmm. breaking through with the songs that he wrote for Dionne Warwick and Bobby Gentry and Tom Jones and and all of these artists when the world in the 60s was changing so quickly you had the Vietnam War you had the sexual revolution you had women on the bill you had politicians um that were essentially going to be corrupt and bankrupt and, and leaving the presidency within three years of some of his biggest hits. It, it's amazing that he only really had one collaborator, which was the, the, the songwriter Hal David, and that they were able to tap into what everybody's hopes and dreams were about love and life and romance, no matter if he was writing for Dionne Warwick or, um, you know, Celia Black or Dusty Springfield, Bobby Gentry, Tom Jones, all of those artists were so upbeat and and wistful in the, in the songs that he absolutely knew his way around a tune, whether it was jazz or classical, um, light pop, R&B and soul and disco. It, it, uh, and the songs still hold up. They put you immediately back yeah. into the first time that you heard them. And like you said, done by so many different artists and so many different genres and such. What was the last song, big song that he had? Was he writing right till the end? Yeah, he was writing actually until the end. It all depends on, on how closely you kind of look at these things. But in 2020, he got a Grammy nomination. Um, he was collaborating with a guy named Daniel Chishan, and they had an EP together, and they got the Grammy nomination for Best Traditional Pop Vocal Album. Um, and uh, it, he lost to it. But even before then, he was writing a couple of songs um, in the mid 2010s. I know that he did a couple of songs on behalf of the S Sandy Hook Promise, the charity mm -hmm. that started um, after the school shooting there. Um, and he never really went political. He never really went controversial, but he felt so strongly about what was going on in America. But I would say probably the last time that maybe people would might remember what might have been like the Austin Powers stuff, you know, because that yes, whole, that whole that, trilogy yeah. of movies were like, yes. it, it was him. I mean, he not yeah. only was he in it, but all of the music was based on the yeah. music 
that he created. What would you say his biggest song was? Um, I would say probably, you know, I, I mean, it's so tough. I, I, that's what friends are for in 1986 raised tens of millions of dollars. Wow. For I forgot about that. Research. You're right. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Raindrops keep falling on my head. I yeah. think the royalties on that song for one day might be what you and I would make in a year together. Um, Arthur's theme was massive when yeah. the movie came out with Dudley Moore. Um, it's not unusual. It's, it's so unusual with a big hit. Um, they long to be close to you. I mean, when the Muppet show does a song like that in the 70s you know that you're going to get a large royalty check and it's still getting played after all these years so um, there's just I think so many of them that it kind of depends on on really what your mood is he would be one of the wealthiest songwriters wouldn't he oh yeah uh, yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. Um, I mean, even even if you only took the twenty year run where they were writing pretty much exclusively with Dionne Warwick, um, they had something like forty six songs on the Hot One Hundred during a twenty year span. And this is the time people have to remember that it's not of the time of Drake releasing a twenty six song yeah. album and all twenty six songs enter into the Billboard chart. This, these are like twenty two top forty songs that are classic like Alfie and I say a little prayer for you and do you know the way to San Jose and walk on by any artist in history would give their left arm to have a hit like that that survives yeah, just one years. just yeah. one just yeah. one and that's why this stuff is magic like nobody you know he was just able to write these songs in seclusion away from the general public and somehow find the mm. right singer, find the right orchestration, find the right drummer, find the right horn section, do the intro so that you don't get bored, set up the story in the verse, make you sing it by the time you hear the end of the chorus, and you just continue in yeah. three and a half mm. minutes. It's it's mm. it's really it's really astonishing what he. There's never going to be another one like him. I, I'm there'll, there'll be other singer songwriters that have bigger hits in terms of Elton or Paul McCartney yeah. or, or Billy Joel. But I, I don't even think that there's going to be anybody that comes close that was able to write for so many other people. Maybe Smokey Robinson. Maybe. Eric Elper, publicist, music commentator on the passing of Burt Backrack at 94. Eric, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you so much for having me. We'll talk soon. And to look this up. Uh, it was 2018 that cannabis and sales became legal in Canada. It's been that long. And, and you might remember at the time, people were uh, speculators clamoring for licenses and trying to figure out uh, how to get a part, a piece of this gold mine. And we also remember uh, in Smith Falls, just outside of Ottawa, the old uh, Hershey chocolate plant uh, was then taken over by Canopy Growth and became a giant... Um, grow up, I guess, where they once made chocolates and they also made edibles there. I guess that's the, the connection. But now we're hearing that they have Canopy Growth has announced layoffs and closing the Smith Falls location as we see a general downsize in this industry. What happened? Let's bring in Brad Polis, instructor, Ted Rogers School of Management, Toronto Metropolitan University. And here now, Brad, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Sure. Good afternoon, sir. I am. So hard to believe it's been 2018 since this all started. We remember at the beginning all the buzz around getting licenses and who was getting one and this, that, and the other, and many thought this was a gold mine. What happened? Well, it was a very attractive industry, and what happens when you have very attractive industries is they attract huge amounts of capital. 
And then you're, you're left, you meaning if you're a CEO or a board, you know, on the board of directors of these companies, all of, almost all of which, by the way, I'll point out, were publicly traded, which creates all kinds of pressure on the management that's not there in private companies. And so, you know, shareholders are not that happy when they give you money and you don't deploy it. So what did these companies all do? Well, they overbuilt um, cannabis production facilities of all different sorts, you know, b- b- uh, cultivation of flour, but also, as you mentioned, uh, the more derivative products as well, edibles, drinkables, all of that kind of stuff. And and the truth is that we have ha- had really since the day of legalization, we have had too much production capacity in Canada and have been undergoing uh, the death of a thousand cuts, quite frankly, really mm. since then. So this is really just too many players. Yeah, too much money and too many players. That's right. And so, lack of a and lack of a U.S. market at this point. Well, yeah, although I don't think it, I think it was always folly for us to think that the U.S. was going to have somehow prop us up and that we would be able to you know make make up for our own sins by by shipping cannabis either to the U.S. or other international markets. There is, by the way, a small amount of exportation going on, but it's not. Uh, it's not hugely significant in the grand scheme of things. We, you know, it's not, and it's not going to make up for the, you know, the overcapacity problem. I'm sure, like everything else, they can do it just as well as we can, I suppose. So, what happens now? Uh, do we see just things scale back? Where? What is the future of this industry? Yeah, we're in the, we're in a period of retrenchment right now, and have been really for a couple of years, and I don't think we're finished. This closing of the uh, Smith Falls facility is really, it's tough for the industry. I mean, that was a, that was a flagship and it's really a sad, you know, a sad sign that of, of where we've ended up. But, but anyway, there's a little more consolidation to be done and it'll probably take another couple of years. And then you and I can talk about the retail one after that because that's what's coming next. So, so sorry, um, say that again. Say that again. What's coming next? you the retail the, the shakeout in the retail space is yeah. in Ontario where you and I are talking from uh, you know where that's that's going to be a bloodbath as well so where does this leave retail and those shops and such well there's still lots of cannabis to be purchased from the 13 provincial monopolies that uh, operate the wholesale production sorry the wholesale um, you know distribution of cannabis so so uh, you could wipe canopy right off the map and the the market wouldn't actually care very much there's there's just so many other different products out there and i think this also proves to some degree that you know, cannabis flower and some of the derivatives, the less processed ones, like just straight up cannabis oil and those sort of things, these are commodities, especially at the lower end of the market. And so when you have a commodity, uh, like here's a good example, okay? Does Labatt's grow hops? Mm. You know, <laughs> right? No, they buy yeah. it. And, and, and Canopy as a consumer packaged goods company you know, really what they're doing is they're going to focus on, on the brand side and let others do the production. So are uh, storefronts the future for uh, the retail, or what about online? I think it'll be a mix of all of those things. Like, look at how we buy everything else. You know, right. we purchase so many things online nowadays and then have them delivered to our door, whether that be, you know, um, things like food that are kind of in the moment, and cannabis and alcohol can be in that category as well, or more, you know, measured thoughtful purchases that we're making from Amazon and other brick and mortar retailers that also have online. So I think it's going to be a mixture of um, phone orders, still some, not a lot, 
uh, online ordering a fair bit of that, and then, of course, brick-and-mortar retail where we go and purchase the product in, in situ. Uh, will this end up just being a small number of players like any other big companies or, or monopolies or such, and smaller players weeded out, no pun intended? <laughs> yeah. That's the, that, the sad reality of it is that it's not going to be unlike, it's not going to be different than any other large business. It's going to be yeah. dominated by big players. There, but there will always be room for smaller players, Scott. It's just they're going to be niche and they're not going to dominate. So, you know, just like we have with beer, you can you can compete if you create a really good craft beer. You can compete, uh, but it's tough. And what, the same cannabis. what does this mean for prices, Brad? So prices have been coming down really since the day of legalization. And the, the all of this um, it will hopefully one day perhaps allow pricing to tick up a little bit and you know, obviously cannabis consumers might be reeling at me saying that, but the thing is, if the industry isn't profitable, it doesn't benefit anybody in the long run. So it has to, it has to make money. And, and that's currently not really the case. So as the industry consolidates, pricing should start to inch up. And that, uh, that's probably a sign then that the industry is getting mature and not a bad sign. Brad Polos, instructor, Ted Rogers School of Management, Toronto Metropolitan University. Smith Falls, the big uh, canopy growth operation there, closing as we're seeing the downsizing of the cannabis industry. Brad, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. We'll talk again. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Now my transmission's gone and it's like, well, what am I going to do now? And I've looked at lots and most used cars. If you want a decent mileage in a relatively recent year, it's like 20 to 25K plus for used, which is absolutely ridiculous. But then you hear that the the used prices are going down, but I haven't seen that. Going out on the lots, there's cars. There's lots of used cars. There's lots of new cars. But I have yet to see anything that's relatively affordable. Anecdotal story from Liz Russell. Content producer and uh, looking for a new baby, uh, a new car, a new ride, a new whip, and uh, having difficulty still. I mean, it's just the price of everything has gone through the roof. Let's bring in Lorraine Sommerfeld, auto writer with Post Media, Mother Load column in the spec, host of the Lemonade Car Show on Rogers TV, and has penned a new one in Driving.ca about auto theft, which we'll get to uh, in a sec. Lorraine, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Good. How are you? So far, so good. Let's talk about Liz and her used car plight. We remember used car prices during the pandemic were going through the roof. Uh, supply prices, where are we now? Um, they're softening. I was speaking to Liz actually earlier, and I don't think she believed me. Um, I think Auto Trader, a couple months ago, they were saying the median price of a used car was about $38,000. And new ones. 38 grand for a used car? Average, the, so that's a lot of categories and all the big guesses. Yeah, yeah, in there. yeah. That'd be a new car yeah. right now, on average, is just under sixty thousand, an average price, which I find insane. 
<laughs> yeah, that is unbelievable when you think about it. So um, we remember during the pandemic, chips for new cars and uh, put the price of used up and such, but things have stabled on both new and used car lots. There's more supply. Um, so, yeah, supplies coming through. People, um, if they want a CRV or some of the hybrids and electric cars, they'll tell me they're waiting a year, two years. There's some yeah. places not taking orders on stuff. So it, this comes down to what you want. And if you want the most popular stuff out there, you're going to be in a long lineup and you're going to pay more. And what happens with manufacturers, there are still shortages. It's kind of cyclical almost, depending on what part of the world is getting nailed the hardest right now. And so what they're doing is when they do have parts, they're putting them into their most expensive stuff with the highest profit margins. Yeah, yeah. If you're just looking for an A to B, you're, you know. But if you want high end, you're there. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, it really is. So what advice you have, and I mean, we all know, used car, horror stories, buyer beware, um, you know, at least with a new car, you've got the warranty and what have you. What advice can you give us for, you know, basic stuff if you're going out there kicking the tires? I say ask around in your family circles first. There's some people who have committed to working from home and might be looking to offload a second car. And Good you know point. how you always, you always hear later, oh, I wish I'd known. Okay, just tell mm. everybody that you know <laughs> that you're looking. Good point. And, you know, seniors are, you know, getting rid of cars as they move out of driving. So the more the message gets out, it, it sounds kind of, I don't know, like build a barn with your Amish friends, but do that. Put the message yeah. out that you are looking. Um, go on AutoTrader. I like AutoTrader or even driving.ca sites to give you parameters of what a car that you're looking for is going to cost. You can throw off the top and bottom numbers and look in you know, the middle. Certified dealers, you are safer than a curbsider. If you're, you know, go on uh, Omvix site for tips on how to, you know, lots and lots of tips about buying a used car. Be very careful buying from someone who is just posted their car. It doesn't mean you can't do it, but you have no safety net. If you go to a certified dealer, you have a safety net. You can get, you know, on the I remember the old days, you know, my dad would like look through the paper and it was like, it wasn't uncommon to go buy something off somebody like that. But, you know, we saw the, the car that drive through the mall, the lady <laughs> lost her car doing the same thing. Oh. So, yeah. So would you, I guess buyer be, or you got seller beware as well. Buyer beware if, um, you know, if you are going the private sale route. Oh, it's, 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 I, I wouldn't go the private sale route unless I knew someone, yeah. knew someone or something. Um, right. Only because Good cars point. are so complicated now. And look at where they came from. There's hurricanes and stuff going on. We haven't seen that mm. up here, but it's possible. If that's an East Coast car from Fiona and you're looking right. at the Carfax going, wait a minute, it looks perfect. Go online and learn some tips so you're not going to get ripped off. It's tougher to tell these days. Good point. All right. Great advice. Let's talk about theft. Man, that seems to be uh, on the rise as well. And and we've talked about this before. I mean, I still got the old club that I had, you know, from I think it's like 20 years ago now. Are those things, does that still work? Any sort of extra device we can buy? That has actually gone to the top of the list for what we tell people to use. And really, father in the eighties is cheering somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I'm right beside him. <laughs> it's honestly, it's a cheap, good first line of resistance. What the thing with car theft? All you're doing is trying to encourage someone to go to the next car, and there's yeah, no other way yeah. to put it. You are trying to get them to move along. And the mayor of Brampton is trying to get people to move out of Brampton and probably come to Burlington and steal our cars. But um, theft are opportunity. If, if they want your car, they're going to get it. I'll tell you now. Yeah. 
Um, I spoke to my broker a couple weeks ago. She's had in the same family three Range Rovers, one after the other. They replace oh, it, man. Stolen, replace it. It's stolen. I'm like, yeah. I'm not buying it, you know. But you've got, there's aftermarket systems, the Quebec market, because the Port of Montreal is right there, our federal, um, should we call them rules? I don't know. It's like a state yeah. in that port. Mm-hmm. And so Quebec is requiring the most stolen vehicles to have a tag system put on it for sensors. And now Ontario's rates are going up because the thieves are going, oh, well, that's okay. Right. Go to Ontario and steal them. Wow. So wow. we're in a bad spot for theft, and we need the feds to do a lot more than they're doing. If we bring back, Lorraine, if we bring back, and I don't mean to sound like an old fart, I just like technology because I love it, but if we were to get rid of the key fob and go back to a key, what does that mean? I have been anti-key fob since I've been in this job almost 20 years. I do not like Like, isn't it a lot harder to steal with a key? Well, not the Hyundai and Kias in the U.S. They've just become uninsurable in some cases, and those are ones with a key in the ignition. Um, the whole thing is you're still around locking the door. You've got a good point, the key fob. It's that signal. As long as you've got signals going to and from yeah. a fob, you've got something that can be interrupted. And they say get a Faraday pouch, which is what Brampton's doing. You know, let's try this. They've moved on, though. They're going right in and going into your onboard diagnostic port, which is where your mechanic sticks in a... Right. To see what's wrong with your car. They're saying put a box on that because they just will rekey new fobs they have with them. They don't even need your key and they don't need the signal anymore. So he's chasing after a bus too, trying to prevent that. That's not what they're doing now. So why not come back with a key? I would love that. They're not going to do it. <laughs> I would love it. But, but would, it, would, it, would it solve the problem or just would it just be a different system then? Well, I mean, cars were always stolen. Yeah, yeah, but and we're back in the day. Well, and but they were stolen for different reasons. Now this is organized crime. They're being used yeah. for sex and drug trafficking. They're being used for bomb platforms. Your the cars they get a higher rate over in these other countries when they have Ontario tags on them. It's like a trophy. Hmm. They're being used by organized crime, so it's not a victimless thing. It's a very big deal. They're money laundering. These are gangs. And so this is not about kids grabbing the minivan and going, you know, scooting around in the field and abandoning it. They're used in the commission of worse crimes. So it is a problem. And people have to yell. I know manufacturers love selling cars, but our insurance rates are insane. And And it seems like this is just all baked in now, Lorraine. Like, you know, we allow for so much this, so much that. You even find people where they found the car. It's like, oh, never mind. It's been sold. Go buy another one. I mean, it's it's all baked into the price of everything. I mean, it is, and, and, and it's wrong, because as I said, it's not just about a missing set of wheels. It's about global, yeah. pro- and Canada is now seen as a source country for these vehicles. We are popular. And wow, there you go. Yeah. Lorraine Sommerfeld with his auto writer, post-medium, other load column in the spec, host of the Lemonade Car Show on Rogers TV, and the latest in driving.ca on stolen vehicles. Lorraine, as always, thanks for the time. I didn't ask you, what are you driving? Are you driving anything now? No, I was driving mine. Yep. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thanks again. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. All right. uh, As you know, of course, uh, highly uh, coveted, much sought after meeting between the premiers and the prime minister on health care happened the other day. Uh, It's taken a day or so for people to digest exactly what has been going on here. Uh, Obviously, it looks like the premiers are going to accept this because at the end of the day, it is 
more money. Uh, and, you know, it is, um, it does seem positive, though, that, um, you know, here in Ontario with uh, a meeting happening today with the health minister and the premier, as well as with a couple of federal ministers, including uh, internal government affairs and the health minister. Uh, and they came out of the meeting and they were, instead of passing the buck or uh, contradicting each other, kind of looked like the three amigos. They were all quite excited and happy and smiling faces. It's not done yet by any means, um, but at least it, it's good to see, I think, after two days that uh, they're going back at it and, and chatting for more. To talk more about all of this, let's bring in Peter Grave, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University. He's with us now. Peter, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am, thanks. So your thoughts on, obviously, Peter, much uh, uh, anxiety and pressure and, and uh, I guess, uh, hope prior to this meeting, and then it happens and people didn't know really what to think. What are your thoughts as, you know, this much-anticipated meeting, uh, meeting finally happened? Uh, well, I mean, I think you don't have the meeting unless there's a real strong chance that there's going to be some grain of uh, agreement. Um uh, so, you know, I mean, there's not, I guess, too much surprise that they, they got to where they are. Uh, I think it was also, you know, looking fairly likely through the, the late fall uh, that the federal government was going to put a bunch of health money in the budget. And so, you know, the question was how it was a process to get there. And, you know, I think uh, there's still uh, plenty uh, to do. I mean, the, yeah. the premiers, I don't think, are saying that this is a case closed. It's more no. a case closed for this budget year. Uh, and obviously, as part of this deal, the federal government and the provinces have a series of bilateral agreements to come to. Uh, you know, there's a number of features of the agreement that are, you know, need to be spelled out beyond the press release that we saw a couple of days ago. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think that's where we're at. Uh, it's not that surprising we got to a deal, but it, it seems like this is something where the premiers are going to be coming back in future years uh, looking for more. Uh, are you surprised that even two days after we're seeing uh, the feds meeting with the province of Ontario health minister and premier today, it seems as if there does seem to be, this seems to be a priority. It sounds weird that I'm saying that because of course it should be a priority, but it seems that uh, there's, there's some uh, uh, obviously need to move this forward quickly. Yeah. And I mean, I think, uh, you know, Doug Ford has been a pretty important ally of the federal government uh, in this process. I mean, not in the in the sense that he was just willing to accept anything from the federal government. But, you know, if we we're to believe the stories, he smoked cigars with Dominique LeBlanc last summer uh, hmm. at uh, Dominique LeBlanc's cottage. And kind of there was a sense that uh, the federal government was willing to move and that Ford himself was willing to move. And we saw again in January Ford really came out and said there's no point continuing to posture about, you know, getting $28 billion this year from the federal government, you know, an additional $28 billion. You know, let's sit down and actually, uh, you know, come to some sort of deal. So for those reasons, uh, I think you can not be surprised that there continues to be good relations between the federal government and Ontario, uh, at least on, on the healthcare file. Uh, you know, I think for Ford, uh, in some ways, he wants to push this, question of federal provincial transfers uh you know somewhere else uh because i don't think it's really that central to his own plans both in healthcare but also in terms of what he wants to do in ontario in the next 4 years so i think for him too it's a way of getting rid of an irritant uh, and getting on to a much more ontario focused agenda 
rather than looking at federal provincial uh, you know negotiations uh, obviously lots of chatter about reform and not doing things the old way uh, we've had Jugmeet Singh NDP leader on the show he was pushing for more full funding full public funding um, and, and criticizing the Prime Minister for you know calling some of these reforms innovative and, and, and that sort of point uh, has has Jugmeet Singh sort of painted himself into a corner here because on one hand uh, he wants full public money. That's certainly not going to happen, and, and the public attitude is changing. Um, uh, but also has the power to bring down the government, but is obviously not doing that. Yeah, I mean, I think he's making the uh, calculation um, that there's a lot of concern among sort of liberal NDP vote switchers uh, about possible privatization in the healthcare system. And so that playing on this uh, feature, uh, you know, that, that this isn't really central to these agreements. And, you know, in many ways, I think, you know, one of the quid pro quos from the Trudeau government for having Ford support was to, you know, not get embroiled in any kind of question about uh, what Ford is doing, you know, around uh, the eye and knee and hip clinics. Right. And so there's a space there for Jagmeet Singh. As you point out, he faces a risk of looking as a bit of a hypocrite if he doesn't bring down the government at a certain point. But I suspect his calculation is that those liberal NDP vote switchers, uh, uh, you know, would rather see the Trudeau government stay in power at least for another year than to sort of risk uh, the coming into power of a conservative government. So I think Singh sees a, an opportunity here to, to win votes from the liberals without necessarily losing votes from people saying, well, why aren't you really putting your, your money where your mouth is? Uh, surprised that Pierre Polyevra, leader of the Conservatives, spoke up and said uh, he would honor any deals that come and continue them through. Um, uh, and then, of course, you know, attack the uh, Trudeau for the normal things that he does and such. Are you surprised he spoke out at that? Yeah, not really. Uh, I mean, most of the premiers at the moment are conservative premiers, so I don't think he necessarily wants to say he's going to, you know, burn this uh, extra money if he was ever to come into power. I think that would cause. You know some some difficulties for him. Uh, I think really this is a subject he wants to go away. Uh, the Conservatives don't do particularly well with Canadians when the debate is on health care. Uh, I think he would rather uh, the debate turn to to other issues uh, that he would have a, a greater hand of uh, defining. So I think for him again, maybe a bit like for Doug Ford, but for different reasons, he, he would like to see the a turning of the page, and it's easier to get there if you just say okay. I don't think this is a great deal or, you know, if, if the government hadn't spent so money, much money during the pandemic, they could give more now. But right. it's, it's, I think it's a way for him to turn the page and not upset uh, the provincial premiers. Peter Brave with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. Peter, as always, thank you for the time. Be well. And you too. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right, uh, we've been talking over the last week. It's hard to believe we, um, we're coming up to the anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Many thought that this was going to be over in the first couple of days, and here we are here, uh, and Russia is escalating attacks on the Ukraine while President Zelensky in Britain uh, asking the EU for fighter jets. And you might remember where that discussion went at the very beginning of this invasion. Let's bring in Erica Simpson, Professor, Department of Political Science, Western University, and with us now. Erica, thank you for the time. Hope you're well. Thank you very much. 
So at the beginning of this conflict, this invasion, I won't even call it a conflict, it's an invasion, uh, there was chatter of uh, heavy equipment such as planes going in. Uh, that would violate a NATO agreement and bring NATO countries, allies, into this giant war. Uh, so that was pretty much wiped off the table at the beginning, and then things escalated to where they are, and now we have more asks for fighter jets. Is it just a matter of time before this happens? Well, we just had the debate about the Leopard tanks and the Mm -hmm. United States and Germany, reluctantly, Germany agreed to provide uh, the Ukrainians with Leopard tanks, so they will have to be trained. It's a lot more difficult to train Ukrainian soldiers to operate, let's say, F-16s or F-35s. I think the problem is that the the Ukrainians have... Uh, fighter jets from the Soviet area over 30 years ago, right. while Russia has very heavy-duty uh, jets that can fire missiles into Ukrainian territory without going over Ukrainian airspace. So we we are looking at this prospect of, of Ukraine being pummeled from the sky, no air right. defense system, which is what I think they should have. They should buy a as soon as possible when this is over and the negotiations carry out at, carried out at the Black Sea. Zelensky needs to buy air defense, but the possibility of F-16s or fighter jets is ramping it up. And the worry is that Putin, who is obviously a rat cornered, will think this is provocative and re- and then resort to more nuclear blackmail. So that uh, is why the Europeans and the Americans and Canadians will be reluctant to go one step higher in this arms race. So obviously, if we send in jets, the Russia is going to do the same. Uh, Ukraine can't protect itself and puts itself in harm's way even more so. That being said, many thought this war would be over in three, six days, what have you. And many say Putin has lost so far. So clearly, with what Ukraine is putting up against him, uh, he, he doesn't have the forces right now to, to, to get this over with in a short period of time. Uh, are we overestimating the air power? Or if we bring in jets, it, it's a whole different ballgame and a whole different um, tragedy, as yeah. they say. It's, it is a whole different ballgame. But having the debate actually may frighten the Russians into thinking that they'll lose more than three mm. or four hundred thousand Russian casualties. So having the debate about whether to go in with fighter jets is a form of deterrence. It makes uh, the Russians see that the, the Western world is resolved that our backing is unshaken. But in the final analysis, I'm hoping that it has been an entire year, nearly as you pointed out, that the Russians will do a last offensive and then proceed to the negotiating table. That's where Zelensky will be. And it's not going to be as much fun as being in Westminster Hall and and, and, Mm -hmm. and being in Time magazine. It's going to be a lot more miserable because he is going to have to give up something and i'm not sure what that is if it's part of the donbass region we don't know what the motives of the russians are but we do know that ukrainian airports are constantly targeted by russian missiles so if we send f i can't even imagine this f-16s taking off from ukrainian airports the russians will bomb the ukrainian airports yeah the Will they take off from highways i don't know any f-16 that can take off from a highway maybe you do i don't Maybe it's some griffins. But but jets are offensive, long-range weapons. They're not designed to protect air uh, territory. 
So they're not, they're used to strike deep into territory. So the Russians are going to be scared that these jets would be used to strike at them and even at their um, missile sites and their missile bases and their nuclear bases. So we're, it would escalate the conflict. And I'm pretty confident that the Western world will realize that and we're going to have this debate and then we're going to stop. We're going to stop before we, we go and get into uh, fighter jets. Hopefully, uh, we'll stop with the Russians at the negotiating table. But the spring is coming, and they may have uh, they may have an advantage here. Uh, many said that the nukes that Putin has are the trump card. Uh, will we ever get there? Because, for example, uh, we won't get to the to the jet fighter jet stage because that would trigger World War Three. I don't think the fighter jets would trigger World War III, but certainly if uh, Russia uses tactical nuclear weapons, even as a demonstration shot, mm-hmm. uh, Anthony Blinken, the U.S. Secretary of State, and President Biden at the United Nations General Assembly, Assembly made it very, very clear that if the Russians resort to using tactical nuclear weapons, they would bomb the Black Sea, they would bomb the fleet there, they would bomb pretty mm-hmm. well everything there, and that could obviously go to um, a, a, a huge war in, in Europe. So uh, I think that that demonstration shot, that that possibility, that was a blackmail by Putin. But I think many people are calming down about the prospect of a, of a, of a war, although there's always an accidental one, Scott, as you know. We've talked mm. about this before. You so we've... We're, we've come to the, are coming up to the one year anniversary and, you know, you don't know about a crystal ball, Erica, nobody does, but where do you see this going in the next six months? I hope that we have a return to the minced agreement and that there's some sort of movement to say, let's return to that. It was not honored as a legal treaty, but maybe it might be a possibility to return to a previous agreement and then build on that. So I'm kind of optimistic that Russia is ready to go to the table uh, and that maybe we call it ripe for resolution. Maybe there have been enough deaths on both sides that both sides are willing to go to the table. But Zelensky has said that he he has been very resolved and has talked about the ultimate end and so on. We're not sure. So I'm not very optimistic, but then I'm always a pessimist. Erica Simpson with us, Professor, Department of Political Science, Western University, talking about Russia invasion of Ukraine almost a year later and the possibility of jets. Erica, thanks so much for the time. Be well. You well. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. In case, uh, well, maybe you've been under a rock, but uh, the Hamilton Bulldogs, uh, first Ontario Center being renovated. So they're up to Brantford for uh, three years and they are pretty excited about having the team uh, be there. We were talking to uh, the mayor earlier on today and uh, er, earlier on yesterday, rather. And it's pretty excited how uh, exciting, how excited they are uh, to have this uh, team coming. Let's bring in Barbara Sutherland, chair of the downtown Brantford BIA and is with us now. Barbara, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I'm hope well. Thank you, Scott, and thanks for having me on. Boy, uh, everybody seems pretty excited in Brantford about this, which is making us excited down here as well. Uh, how do you explain the buzz? Are you surprised at any of this? Um, I, I'm surprised at the timeline, actually, because it all seemed to have happened pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but we're, we are, you're right, we are all very excited to have the team come to town. 
Uh, what's it mean? What does it do? I mean, we certainly have, you know, talked about uh, the logistics of the team being there and the arena and what needs to be done and, and such. But obviously, there's going to be a lot of spinoff if people are showing up uh, to the arena for every game and, and there's 3,000 people hanging around. What does it mean for the downtown BIA there? Oh, it means a complete turnaround for the downtown BIA. We are so excited. Um, it will bring more foot traffic to the street. It is going to bring so many tourists to downtown. And uh, we have 40 restaurants that can feed those tourists when they come. In, and it's all walking distance from the Civic Center. So, uh, you know, think of that alone. Just the restaurant industry must be pretty stoked about all of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. They're ready for it. Are, are they? Are they doing anything special? Is there anything? And obviously, you know, well, maybe you don't have that much time to plan for it because, as you <laughs> said, the timeline's pretty short. But uh, any ideas of, of how you know what you're going to do at the BIA level to uh, to complement all of this? Right. Well, I don't know if the restaurants have had time to uh, to plan anything, but I'm sure yeah. they will. Um, as far as the downtown uh, BIA, I mean, we're going to be home of the Bulldogs. <laughs> so yeah. I'm sure we'll capitalize on that somehow with our with our own marketing. And uh, you know, it, it, we have so many people downtown. I, I don't know if you if you know that we have about three to four thousand students from Laurier University and yep. Conestoga right in our downtown, and they're excited because it gives them something to do, another place for entertainment. And, uh, you know, this is a hockey town. I'm sure the mayor told you that. We're a hockey town. And, uh, uh, you know, so this just sort of complements the whole hockey uh, inspiration in in town. And now we're bringing it downtown, which is very exciting. It's so good for our businesses. After covid as with every downtown, everyone suffered, and some businesses closed. Mm. Um, and so it gives us a chance to to rebuild and refill some of those empty spaces because knowing that there will be people walking by, people wanting to buy, people wanting to eat, and it's just so good economically for the downtown. Do you think they'll have any problems selling out the 3,000 seats every game? Mm, I, I don't know, Scott. I have no no idea, but I do know that the, uh, you know, the pre-sale of the uh, season's tickets are going pretty fast. So, uh, you know, and, and this town loves its sports. So I can imagine that, you know, if, you know, with the ticket prices, I think you're going to be fairly reasonable for a seat and there will be seats left because they're not overselling the, um, uh, season's tickets. So, you know, I, I think the town will support them heartily. I really do. Uh, what about interest from business or new business coming in? Do you think this could uh, fill the odd storefront with another restaurant or some sort of business? Mm-hmm. I do. I do. I think it's, you know, it's the impetus that we needed in downtown after COVID. And, uh, you know, I can see a lot of entrepreneurs wanting to come in, you know, maybe uh, a store to sell merchandise for the Bulldogs. Uh, you know, there's just so many opportunities. And, and we do have some empty storefronts to fill. So this is great. And it's all walkable. It's all walkable distance to the Civic Center. Uh, what about the Renos to the arena? Obviously, this comes with the deal. What does that mean for for the city? Um, well, I'm, I don't know if I can speak to that, uh, other than uh, just from my personal point of view. If we're renovating that civic center, 
that's going to open up um, opportunities for so many other events mm. and, uh, you know, down the road, uh, whether the Bulldogs stay or, or not. Um, you know, of course, we're hoping they do, but, uh, you know, that's, that's down the road. It doesn't matter. Our excitement is initial excitement to have uh, a franchise team in town. So obviously this is all official now and, and people are slowly getting time to catch their breath and but not too much time because as you said, the, the timeline is pretty short here. Mm. If you're the BIA or you're the businesses, what planning are you doing now? What, how are you looking at this from a planning perspective? Well, we had our first board meeting in a month, um, and a lot's happened in this month, and we had that this morning. So we really haven't had time, but we're going to have a marketing meeting very soon and uh, and a new strategic plan, and a lot of it will be focused on our new team and, and on our downtown and um, meeting the needs of all the tourists who are going to come into town. What about celebrations or pop-ups, for lack of a better word, around the stadium or around your arena, rather, on on game day? Uh, I mean, again, I'm sure it's pretty early, but uh, any plans for that at this point? Not at this point. Not at this. I wish I could tell you more, but it's yeah. so new. We haven't had time to plan or really wrap our heads around this, and uh, but we will, and you know, look for us to do something really, really great with the city. Uh, when you look back at this, uh, or, uh, or you look forward at the next uh, six months and year, and and uh, and this is is sort of coming at you, it's something that you didn't expect. When did you first realize that? Wow, this is looks like it's going to become a possibility. Um, probably just a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's new, and and uh, you know, just the fact that it's downtown just the fact that it's within our yeah. BIA is is so exciting it's not just for the BIA it's you know it's good for the city um, you know for accommodation and and you know stores everywhere but the fact that it's right the Pacific Center is in our downtown and, yeah. and unlike a lot of cities that are congested and you have to find parking and you have to find your way around and and you don't have 40 restaurants within walking distance um, I, I think we're unique. In, in that way, um, and because we have a large parking garage, we have uh, parking at the at the civic center, and a good transit system too. So, you know, it will all work out. Very exciting for the city of Brantford, and uh, so exciting to see them so excited about uh, the Bulldogs coming there for uh, hopefully three years and returning to us. But you never know uh, what's going to happen moving forward. Barbara Sutherland with us, chair of the downtown Brantford BIA, as they digest all of this. Barbara, thanks so much for the time. Good luck and congratulations. Thanks so much, Scott. Take care. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Imagine if this guy could sing. He'd be loaded. Well, he already is loaded. He he wrote every song from the late 60s through the 70s that you'd ever hear in your doctor's office. So, I mean, come on. Uh, Let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. You can read him there. Also, um, coming up after the 6 o'clock news, Scott, how are you today? I am well, although we're actually going to be doing a thing on Burt Bacharach at the end of the segment of his best songs because you're right. If you hear one note of a Burt Bacharach song, <laughs> it's like you're taken back to the late 60s. Yeah, yeah. It's like hearing Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass hit off the oh! first note. You just, hey, Will, find the Lonely Bull, Tijuana Brass. Lonely Bull, find that for yeah, us, please. It is, uh, no, but, Herb, tr- but Burt Bacharach, as I say, honestly, one, two, maybe three notes, and you know exactly yeah. what era you're in, and you know exactly who wrote that song. It, the only other group that I can think of, honestly, 
or artist that is as instantly recognizable. There you go. <laughs> the only other group that's as instantly recognizable as Burt Baccarat is ACDC to know exactly who's playing on the first or second note. Wow, that's an interesting comparison. Yeah. No one's ever drawn them in the same sentence together before. Um, I think her, uh, Burt Bacharach wrote the song Still in Love with You, which Herb Alpert was the one song where he put down his trumpet and actually vocalized. That could be. This, I mean, guy, this, man, this guy's in love with you. I think that's what it was. Anyway, my dad was a huge Herb Alpert fan. I used to love, uh, as a kid, going into the hi-fi and pulling out the album with the lady on the cover with nothing but whipped cream all over her. <clears throat> as one does when you're a young man. Yes, absolutely. All right. Uh, but no, I, I find um, his songs somewhat traumatic for me because they remind me of being in the dentist office as a little kid sitting in that little leather chair where your feet don't touch the ground and just hearing, this guy's in love with you. See, I think of driving in the car with my parents when I hear Burt Baccarat because, again, that's the era. That's, that's, and, you know, my dad, it was funny, my dad always bought a Amazing stereos. Like one thing he liked having was a good sound system. Cool. And then never played at above volume above one third of the first one. <laughs> so you'd walk in a room and you could barely hear it. It's like, Dad, why did you buy these enormous speakers in this great amplifier? And literally, you could have played this on a little, you know, close and play. Battery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I never understood that, but oh well. Each to the yeah. room. Yeah, you don't want to blow the speakers, son. You don't want to blow the speakers blow the out. Speakers. If, if it got any quieter, it would have been, sound would have been traveling backwards. <laughs> it would have right. sucked sound into the speakers. Dad, all I can hear is the hum. That's what turn, it was. Turn up the music so it'll go. These go over the, the hum of the tubes. That's uh, what it was. Uh, so we were just chatting with Barbara Sutherland, the chair of yes. the downtown Brantford BIA. Yes, heard, uh, yes. We had the mayor on uh, the day before yesterday, and they are pretty excited. And and again, I don't mean to you know throw fuel on this on the fire that you are throwing fuel on in your Hamilton Spectator column all the time. Um, but uh, the enthusiasm for this for this. Uh, this team. I don't remember seeing that from Hamilton City Council at any time, and and, and no. I think it's great. I feel very excited for for Brantford and and what they're going through. But I, you know, I don't know why, but um, we seem to be more interested in saving the the planet than we do doing anything for the city. Uh, I'm not sure we're we're doing anything more than taking one step forward and two steps back yet again. But um, do, what do you think this team moving to Brantford will do for its future in Hamilton. Well, let me say a couple things. First of all, I just got a text I had asked before I came on. Jeff Elia, who was one of the business guys at yeah. the Bulldogs, uh, as of right now, they've sold roughly or they've got deposits for roughly 400 more season tickets. And this is basically 24 hours yeah. than we have had this year in Hamilton or pretty mm -hmm. much any other year. So there is clearly much greater interest. Uh, you know, one of the one of the theories that a lot of people have had around Hamilton is that since 19 well, mid-80s when, or early 80s when the discussion to build first Ontario Centre, then Cops Coliseum started and since, is that we have created a scenario in this city in which we will only accept or be interested in the NHL. That we have yeah. set our sights on an NHL team and anything else is not worth our time. We didn't have many people show up for the AHL team. Uh, you know, the OHL team has had, you know, 5,000 as an average by the time the year ends, give or take. Um, which is which is okay, which is fine. Um, it, it draws, you know, you add that all together over the course of a year, and it draws more people downtown than anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, but that, of course, 
for as you just said, for whatever reason, despite that, our city council has there may be one or two councillors who have been enthusiastic, but council has never shown any enthusiasm for this team. Um, the city, meh. But this is something that you look now at another city, and this is what I wrote today. You sit and you wonder, okay, are they way too excited about this, or are they showing yeah. us mm. you guys missed something, and are we now reflecting and saying, wait, what did we miss, or what are we going to be missing? Because other cities do get excited, and even if, Scott, even if we're a big city, I don't know that you can't be excited about something if it's not the NHL. We we've, yeah. we seem to have decided if it's not the NHL, it's crap. You know, it's Man. what was that old? Remember that old Mike Myers skit? Yeah. On yeah. If it's not, it's not Scottish, Scottish. It's crap. Yeah, well, exactly. that, that's what we've done. If it's not the NHL, it's crap. Well, no. And other know. places can see that you can enjoy something that isn't necessarily the NHL. Again, we seem to be very uh, obsessed with social issues for a smaller yes. segment of the population than we do with stuff like this. And this is what makes cities whole. But, you know, what do you do? Do you think in the last few games that where they're here, the end of the season, that you'll see an uptick in, in, in spectators as people give them a good uh, show off? I am more concerned that because they're leaving and they're probably everybody's going to leave them alone. Yeah, they're probably not a champion. Last year they were unbelievable. They had an amazing team last year. Yeah, yeah. Arguably the best team ever from the city of Hamilton. This year, uh, I, I'm not sure, but you know what will happen? I am convinced of this. I think you will see a whole lot of people from Hamilton going to Brantford because not just because there's a team there, not just because they like it. What's going to happen is, and I, I, I will, you can keep this on tape and play this later because I think I'll be right. You're going to find out that that rink is going to be jammed. It's going to be a great atmosphere and suddenly it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Everyone's going to go, we got to get that. I got to be yeah. part of that. It's like, mm. it's like TFC when it's a full place when the soccer team is doing well and the crowd is going, I don't care about soccer, but I want to go and be part of that. Yeah, be part of the event. Absolutely. Be part of the event. I think you'll see a lot of hand Hamiltonians who want to see it. Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up after the 6 o'clock news. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator, the latest, of course, on the Bulldogs. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Have a great show. See you, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word. Tragic loss of young lives in Quebec and the destruction of private property and the intent to injure at a car wash in Stony Creek. This thought begins to transform to me. Is our planet approaching a point in the future in which a space arc with two aboard each will leave the troubled world behind and never return? I hope not. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.